How do you go from being a cop to a writer, producer, and director of independent films? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. I believe this is episode 370, well, not officially, but <laughs> the ones that have been published. We still have about 12 shows in the can, as they say, waiting to be published because the authors we interviewed, those books aren't out yet, and they want to coincide with... Um, with the re release of the books before we uh, actually release those programs. So this is uh, 370 on the count. If you're looking at the at, at the um, dashboard of episodes, this is episode 370. We try to keep better track of that uh, because I know people like to reference that. It's easier to find the episode you're looking for if you want to go back and say, hey, what was that great episode I heard uh, with the guy who said blah, 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 blah. Well, now you can do it by number. <laughs> we'll try to keep you better uh, informed on that. It's a really surreal uh, time to be doing the podcast stuff right now. You know, um, I feel like these times are really, um, I'm nervous. I am extremely nervous and anxious and uh, hoping this week goes by without a major incident. But I really, in my heart of hearts, uh, feel like we're probably on the precipice of a civil war, uh, not on the, the scale of the first civil war, but because, and the reason I don't think it, we're on the scale of the first civil war is because the opposition is not unified or organized. There are a lot of fringe groups out there, a lot of people who are uh, showing their dissent, but they're not, there's no one cohesive unit. There's a lot of, uh, whether you go from Powerboys to Boogaloo to the Army of God and all those groups that are out there. But I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like it's going to be a a real a reality uh, now that uh, this stuff is starting to unfold and violence is starting to take place. Is that I, I'm old enough to remember the '90s when uh, Ruby Ridge happened, and then the next year followed up with uh, uh, Waco or that. No, couple of years later and then Columbine and all those things started happening around April 19th and then of course uh, Oklahoma City kind of uh, the, the federal government said enough is enough we're going to crack down on this malicious stuff and uh, they kind of went underground well I could see that happening again and I can I, I, this is not a prediction and I hope to God it doesn't come true but I could see January 6th becoming a anniversary date for for these folks and i'm really worried uh about that it's not over it's not over you know that was the the first swing in a in a uh a, an attempt to kind of um build the world in the image that they want or america in the image that they want to see america built in and uh I, i'm not sure it's over so for me to be doing interviews with authors and filmmakers and musicians and stuff it feels kind of surreal like what um 
what's the point of this if, if the whole world's going to be burning down soon? And I hope the whole world isn't burned down soon. I'm really, I uh, try to be an optimist. I want to be out there playing music again and having good times and being creative and doing things that I like to do. Um, and so a civil war would kind of put a damper on a lot of that. Uh, I don't know what else to do but laugh about it at this point. because, But I am nervous, especially with this being an inauguration week. And today being a celebration of Martin Luther King, who, let's just face it, folks, these groups that are out there, not really down with uh, Dr. King at all. Uh, so uh, I'm nervous. Anyway, that's being said, we have a great show for you today and we have a great week of guests lined up. Ironically, you know, <laughs> some weeks we don't have a, a great lineup of, of guests and you know, a civil war would not bum me out that much, to be honest with you. But when I have a, a great lineup of guests, I, I don't want anything going on in the world to take away from it. And uh, so we have a great week uh, lined up for you. And just to give you an idea, tonight we have Mama's Wranglers on, a great Western group out of uh, South Las Vegas. Later in the week, we have uh, Jeffrey DeVoskin on. Jeffrey has a story to tell you. He was actually... Um, sent to jail for 16 years for a murder he didn't commit as a teenager. And DNA finally exonerated him, and he's out now. And there's been a movie made about his experience, and he's doing all he can to help other uh, victims, uh, or people who end up going to jail uh, for things they didn't do. Uh, and so uh, that should be an interesting show. We got a, a, a whole bunch of Don Smith will be with us on uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, God willing. And Steve Bluestein, a great comedian, will be with us tomorrow night. It's a, a great lineup of guests this weekend. I hope you'll stick with me and uh, and enjoy the program for for what it is. Now, I, uh, before we get on to today's program, I need to talk briefly about my sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by, oh, uh, we have a new sponsor. Actually, I need to tell you about today's show is sponsored by Cardcash.com. Cardcash.com. You know, holidays come. And a lot of people, they don't know what to get certain people, so they end up getting them gift cards. Or some people are just a little lazy, and it's just an easier thing to do. I'm going to get a gift card. And so you get this gift card as you know, for a Christmas present, birthday present, whatever, and you never use it. It just sits there uh, on your shelf. And, and there's a lot of those cards that go unused. So cardcash.com uh, provides the answer to two common questions what can i do with all those gift cards people keep giving me that i never use and how can i easily save money well card cash pays you for unwanted gift cards or unused gift gift cards and then sells those cards at a discount you can make money and save money it's that easy if you have a bunch of those gift cards laying around that are unused and you want money for them they'll buy them for you and uh if you are looking to save money on stuff, you can buy gift cards from them at a very discounted price and then buy the uh, merchandise you're looking for using the gift cards and save a lot of money. Great, great um, idea of a product service. Cash card, uh, cardcash.com. Check them out. New sponsor for us. The link is in the description. Cardcash.com. Use our, our link and you will definitely... Uh, like it and I'm, I'm sure you will save money and or make some money for those unused gift cards 
Today's show is also brought to you by Audiobooks Now Club Pricing Plan. It's, it's Monday, folks. My, my lips aren't working quite yet, well yet. Audiobooks Now Club Pricing Plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find. It offers the savings and flexibility not found anywhere else. With their save on everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel anytime policy, it simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles when you click the link in the description today. Also, a special offer if you take it up, take us up on it today. The link in the description, man, the lips just and, and brain are just not connected yet. Uh, start a 30 day free trial uh, today. It's normally $4.99 a month. Uh, you get it absolutely free for 30 days. If you're not happy at any time in those 30 days, you can cancel and you won't be billed a penny. It's a great deal. Audiobooksnow.com. If you love audiobooks, you know about the convenience of audiobooks. Audiobooksnow.com is the best place to get them because the price point is absolutely the best anywhere that you'll find. The link is in the description, and I do appreciate you patronizing my sponsors. Now, today's guest, I have to tell you, kind of epitomizes what this show is all about. If you're familiar with the show and if you've listened to the 370 or so episodes that we, we've done, you know the, the backstory about this podcast is all about people who um, have had a purpose or a dream in life and wanted to do things creatively with their life. And then life got in the way and they put it on the back burner. At some point, uh, they decided to pick up their passion and run with it again, whether it was in retirement or, or 20 years into a career or 10 years into a career. They just decided, you know what? I want to really do what I always wanted to do. My guest today, I believe, is one of those people. Jeffrey J. Scott is a retired civilian police officer and served in the U.S. Air Force as a base police canine handler. He turned actor, writer, director upon retirement. He's been in over 120 student and indie films. He currently has two films on Amazon Prime, a horror film called Loveland and a crime drama called The PC. He's produced uh, and directed a short documentary style film relating to his past life, real past life experience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds and help me welcome Jeffrey J. Scott to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Jeffrey, welcome. Greetings. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, but I'm a little anxious, as you probably heard during the monologue. I'm really uh, nervous that this week is, is just going to be uh, fraught with all kinds of problems. And, and so it feels a little uh, weird to be sitting here interviewing creative people when some serious stuff is, is happening in the world. And so uh, it, it's, it's just a new experience for me because as long as I've been doing this, um, this is the the most uh, surreal time for me, so I'm I'm trying to, you know, make the make light of it and, and try and ease my own anxiety and hopefully the listeners' anxiety about what's going on. Uh, but it's there in the back of my mind at all times, no matter what. So when we're talking about things, I know uh, you've had experience as a police officer and uh, wondering how you are feeling right now and without getting into the whole politics of it are you feeling anxious and am i overreacting to what's going on in the world uh, you know one one thing i've i've noticed is when i was a police officer and if i would go to a home on a burglary call or something like that and i was doing a report and the town that i worked in was a pretty not affluent town certain parts of it was certain parts of it wasn't but people would always say well I didn't think something like that could happen in this town. I says, why? 
Anything can happen any place for any reason. (laughs) The only thing you can do is not have a false sense of of security and be prepared for whatever may happen. Right. It could be anything, okay? Your feelings I can understand completely because you haven't experienced the law enforcement aspects of dealing with a lot of different situations. Me being in the military, I know what it's like. You know, I luckily, knock on wood, you know, <laughs> I, luckily, knock on wood, I, 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 I served in peacetime. So I wasn't sent overseas to any wars or anything like that. I was stationed overseas for a while. But we always had alerts and we would have to pack our duffel bags and wear our helmets for like 48 hours and stuff like that. We were always prepared. A lot of people in civilian life aren't prepared. And when they are asked to do something, they don't do it because they have the right not to. Well, that's what gets everybody in trouble. You know, I know that you have the right to do whatever you want, but, you know, you have to at least do what you're asked to do for everybody's sake, just not yours. Right. So that's basically where I'm going. Well, um, I, I'm just hoping for the best. That's all I can do. And uh, you, what you said resonated with me where you say, you know, people who say it can never happen here. I grew up in uh, one town uh, over from Amityville, Long Island. And I, rem- I remember when the Amityville horror uh, happened and people said, that's something that, do- that doesn't happen here. It, when it happens wherever else it happens, those people say the same thing. When it happens to you or in a, a close by you, you always say, that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen here. Well, it just happened here. Yeah. <laughs> it could happen anywhere. That's right. Uh, and, 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 it, and it changes day by day by day. You know, right. things, things just change for whatever right. reason. So let me ask you, when when you uh, were a young person before you, I'm talking kid. Go back to your kid. Did you okay. want to be a, Did you want to be an actor then? Was that was that in your mind when you were a, a, a teenager or a young person? No, that 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 was the last thing on my mind. When I was a younger kid, I was into TV big time. I love TV and I love movies, like especially on Sunday with Abbott and Costello and the Bowery Boys and all that stuff. You know, I used to love to watch TV. My main thing that I wanted to do ever since I was like five or six years old was to become a cop. So I geared my, I geared my energy towards that. And I've gotten turned down numerous times. Sure. But eventually I got into a police department and I fulfilled my dreams. And luckily, like I said, I, I was in a town that was 19 and a half square miles and we were all rural except for two strip malls. So we didn't have manufacturing. We didn't have train stations coming, trains coming through our town. You know, we didn't have a lot. Of, and it was, it was all woods, you know. Right. So I was lucky in getting in, into a good town. So I live in a very, uh, you know, even though it's it's many years later, the town I live in is exactly like that. It's very rural. We don't even have a post office. We don't have a fire department. We have to borrow the fire department from the town over. If yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I can relate to that. So when did, uh, well, uh, when did, did the acting bug kind of hit you? Just, just to go back. We had a volunteer fire department, but we had three com- companies. But we actually shared the post office with the next town. Uh, we had two. Our, one post office had the same zip code, and we shared it with the town of Butler. Same, so, exactly exactly yeah. my situation, too. Yeah. Uh, Rock, Rocky Point, Wading River, yeah. and Shoreham. And basically, Shoreham, where I am, is, has nothing. Um, when so did here, you, 
Get when did you, your question? Yeah, yeah, when did you when did you first realize, hey, I'd like to give acting a try, or or, or I want to be an actor? <laughs> I'm not sure how it came to you, but well, after I retired, me and my ex wife uh, wasn't my ex at the time. We had moved out to Phoenix, and we lived out there for five years before we came back here. And then I was kicking around for like a year and a half, and I'm having lunch or dinner with some friends of mine one day. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd like to try and get into some type of voiceover work. And she goes, well, you know, you do have the good voice for it. And there's an acting place right across the street from where we were have, having dinner. So I said, okay, I'll check it out one day. So I went over there and um, they did have voiceover classes and they did have acting classes and stuff. And I started getting, I started getting bookings for background work on TV and movies and stuff like that. And I, okay, why not? I'll do it. Even though I wanted to get into voiceover work because it'd be like me and you, like we're in the studio, we're sitting down, we're in our civvies, you yeah. know, we don't have to like bring four changes of luggage to a reading, you know? <laughs> um, so I started getting involved in the background work and from background work, I started getting involved in student films and I worked for not work, but I did acting for like maybe, maybe four different student uh, film uh, colleges from Montclair state to SUNY purchase. Um, Rutgers was a big one. Rutgers was a funny story, but anyway, so, and then I started meeting people at film festivals and stuff that were into independent films. So I said, well, all right, well, maybe I'll check that out. And I tried to get into voiceovers again, and I got pushed back into films. So I only did like four voiceover things in my career. <laughs> Everything else has been pushed into films. So that's, that's, that's what I've been doing. But it kind of worked out in, in, a, in a pretty mysterious ways because I would go to these films or I would go to these sets and there was clicks of people that knew each other from time, you know, over time, always working together on different projects. But I'm, I'm one of those types of people, maybe it's just the cop in me, but I just sit back and I watch. Like I watched what the guy with the electrical department was doing. I was watching what the guy with sound was doing. And I'm watching all these different aspects of the filming industry. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could do this. So I wrote up a script, a couple scripts, and I just decided to do my own film and see what happens. Pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, I, I say it's pretty crazy from the aspect of, I agree, watching and being uh, on a set with real pros and watching them is a great education. But I think a lot of uh, young people who have been dying to get into film, hearing that, you know, I just... I just sat down and wrote a couple of things and then decided that it's, it doesn't happen that easy for most people. No, it I mean, it, 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 so, um, first of all, I think you have a, um, a film friendly look like you, I could see you getting cast in a lot of, uh, a lot of roles that are for, you know, people who are, uh, you know, not kids, basically. And, and they're looking for either, a, I think, a tough guy type of role or a, you know, a coach or, or any of those kind of things. I think you fit just from looking at you, I'd say that guy would make a great, like, football coach, baseball coach type of guy or <laughs> cop or, you know, I could think of lots of roles just from looking at you to say, you know, he'd be good for that. Does, so does coming into it at, and, you know, 
middle age or or, or beyond, does, is that an advantage for you? Because people, you're you're easy to cast in roles like that. Well, n- not that it's necessarily easy, because you have to remember that. All right, I have the look. I've I've done numerous roles as a father, uh, like a parent type father, uh, doctor, stuff like that. But you have to realize that, and this is the difference between being SAG and non-SAG, is when you're applying for a role to audition, all right, there are 30 other people that look like you that are doctors. Right. And I'll tell you a funny story. Um, The TV series that used to be on uh, Gotham, okay, Um, I can't remember the girl's name in it, uh, Mooney, uh, Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett. Right. Um, I had went to an audition, um, and it was a featured role where I actually had a had a scene with her, and I auditioned for it, and I didn't get it. And about a month later, I went back for another role audition, and I asked the girl, and I said, "By the way, whatever happened with that role that I applied for?" And she goes, "Well, it went to another guy because well, back then I had a beard and mustache." And I was supposed to play the role of a tramp steamer captain. So I said they picked the other guy only because his beard was longer. <laughs> so there are guys that look like you that you can know you can do that role, but it's what the casting director perceives and what he sees in that role. Right. So uh, you you are SAG af- after now, right? SAG. Yes. Uh, how how difficult and and how hard was that to 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 establish? Is is it something? Because I, I I hear different stories from different people. Is it something that's difficult to get into? You know what what happened with me was and and it was a pretty funny story in a roundabout way. I had applied when I was on film sets, like doing commercial sets and all that background stuff. I I, I would ask for waivers, and I never got a waiver. You know, some people did get them, some people didn't. And so, and in order to get into SAG, that's what you needed. You needed, I think, at least three waivers. And that would be like your application to get into SAG. Um, And I said, well, I'm not going to worry about it. So what I did instead was, being as I want to get into voiceover and radio and stuff like that, I said, let me join AFTRA. Now, AFTRA, you didn't need any of that stuff. All you needed was money. Right. Here's my application fee. Okay, here's your after card. Turns out, I had no idea, six months later, after and SAG merged. Right, yeah. So I'm now SAG after. So I'm in SAG, so then that's how I got in, into it. I think if everybody would have known that, a lot more people would have joined after at, at the time. <laughs> like, like I said, I, I didn't know. It just happened by chance. Yeah, you know? Good, good stuff. Um, so, um, when now when you go and you started by taking acting classes in this place in Arizona, correct? No, the place I took acting classes was in a, in in New Jersey. Right, but were you was that class filled with a lot of younger people than you? Because I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how was yeah. that? How was that experience? Is it a good experience being the elder statesman in a class like that, or is it is it a tough thing? Awkward. Yeah. You know, I was in three different acting classes over the years, and I was, except for one class, I was the second to the oldest. It was like when I went through the police academy, all right? I was the second oldest guy in the class. (laughs) 
Okay. And, and I, I'm like, there was one guy older than me going out for this job, you know? Anyway, so getting back to the thing. Um, yeah, most of the classes that I was in, I was like the father figure, you know, right. for some of the younger actors and stuff like that. Well, it just it seems to me like when you when you're trying out those roles uh, and you you're play acting in classes, they need somebody to play the father, and you don't want to be looking at a guy who's you know if you're twenty twenty years old, you want to, don't want to be looking at across at another twenty year old calling him dad. So yeah. it seemed to me like you you would be really handy in a lot of those kind of roles. On uh, on, on on my YouTube page, I think it's public is I have different um, roles that I played in class that we did in the city. And you could see the different roles, and most of them were father, yeah. yeah. But but it was okay. I, I didn't mind it. When I first started this business of the acting, like, like started getting featured roles, and back then you had to remember, my hair was longer, I had a beard, I had mustache, you know. I, I, I actually got casted playing homeless per person numerous times. Wow. You know, so I went from homeless to father to doctor, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So being an ex-cop, and I think we've had people on the program, not uh, that were ex-cops, but people who were were in one uh, profession or another, they, when they turn to acting and they see films and television shows that uh, portray, whether it's doctors, lawyers, whatever, uh, and all the things that are just not real about it. Do you, mm-hmm. do you, uh, does it, do you obsess on that stuff? Like when you see a tell a cop show or a cop movie and you say, well, that's not the way they would handle that. And they, no, no cop would ever do that in the, in the real world. Does that kind of stuff bother you? <laughs> You know, back back in the day, when I first started, like my big thing back in the day was watching Adam Twelve and Dragnet and all that stuff. I didn't know what cops actually did, and I was a special police officer in a town called Passaic for a while, and we were armed and we got to carry a weapon and stuff like that. Um, but our main job was to like walk the beat on Main Street and check doors and all that stuff. We were more or less background eyes for the regular cops. Um, so having somewhat of that experience and then going through the police academy and then doing military police and doing civilian police, you find out that each department does things differently. So what you see on TV may not look right what you did, but that's how they train their department to do it. So yeah, sometimes it's like way out of line, but then, you know, maybe, maybe that's the way they do it. Right. Not everybody yeah. is the same. Um, I, I came to mind the other day, I, and this is way off the beaten path for this conversation, but I was watching on Netflix uh, a documentary about the uh, Night Stalker case. And um, Night Stalker in California, the guy was mostly in L.A., he went up to San Francisco, and then um, they identified him. They knew who he was. And L.A. wanted to keep that a secret because they wanted they didn't want to go public with that, his identity, because they wanted to get him before he ran away. And San Francisco Police Department was, well, what if he kills again before uh, the weekend's over? Then blood is on our hands. So we got to release his identity. And I, and the two departments were, were fighting over whether to release his identity. San Francisco went and did it. And L.A. was all pissed off about it. And I was uh, it, it just 
caught me is like for me as a non-cop, just a regular citizen, I say, why would you? Why in the world would you release his identity and give him a chance to run? And I, it was making me angry. Like I wanted to argue with the guy from San Francisco. But that kind of situation, that's kind of what you're talking about. Like every every department would handle something different, right? So there's no like playbook on how how you go about doing that kind of stuff. And also, don't don't forget the documentary that you're watching. I I don't think I watched it. I watched one called uh, The Man in the Van on, uh, I think it was on Hulu. And that was a good s- series, too. But you have to remember, too, when these documentaries are dated back to, like, the 70s or 80s, okay, they, don't, they didn't have the technology that we have today right. to track people and to keep an eye on them and stuff like that. You know, back then, it was either either grabbing them out or you might lose them. Right. You know, so that was the mentality that they had. But now you can track people, you know, from the satellites, you know, yeah, you right. point them right on the street. Yeah, you know? I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> you, the, SIM, the SIM card in your cell phone it, is pretty easy to oh, track. Oh, sure it is. Sure it is. Sure. Yeah. Without uh, a doubt. Yeah, so um, you have two films on Amazon right now. One is called uh, Loveland, and it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Did 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 you watch them? I haven't watched them yet. I plan on okay. watching Loveland tonight. Actually, uh, I had you know my Amazon Prime is now back working, so I'm going going to be watching Good. that one tonight. So don't give too much away. But uh, it's a horror film. And what what kind of uh, what role do you play in that? Are you the you're not the bad guy, are you? No, I I I I play the sheriff in it. I'm okay. I, I'm, I, I'm like the county sheriff. Okay. Um, uh, now, one thing though, if you watch Loveland in the PC, and I say this to everybody, because I'm hey, I'm I'm no Cecil B. DeMille. This was like one of my first two projects. I filmed them both at the same time. The cast is virtually almost. I I, I used same cast members in both films. Some some of the cast members. So don't watch them and say there's two hours of my life I'll never get back. Okay, <laughs> don't 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 do that because hey I know I'm not a great and if if they want to put the movies on the Rift channel and Rift the movies down the road in the future go for it it doesn't matter. Uh, I think you're being a little too humble on that stuff and we can always I think people in the arts and now you're in the arts <laughs> you're not yeah. a company well you're in the arts. That's right. Uh, the people in the arts tend to be their own worst critics, and so uh, when, with the films, do you look at them and sometimes uh, beat yourself up over them? I don't beat myself up o- over it. Uh, it's like I, I I probably should have done this or I probably should have done that. Um, also, when I was acting in films and I would see myself on screen, I would do the same thing. I said, eh, you know, I probably could have done that a little bit better or did it this way. But when I was doing films, as far as like being the actor, hey, if the director was okay with it and that's what he wanted, fine. I have no yeah. problem. You know, we, we would run through it again if I had an idea. And if he still wanted to stick with his idea, hey, fine. I have no problem with that. Um, the only thing I will say about um, Amazon, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Prime member also and stuff like that. And I just want to touch on one thing that really gets under my skin. Uh, when it comes to Amazon Prime, is people that review the movies, okay? And actually, if you go look up my film, Loveland, you don't even have to watch it because the one guy that reviewed the film, 
he had so many spoilers in it <laughs> in his review. And after that review was posted, now I didn't make a lot of money on e either film. Okay. Right. I spent a lot of money making it, but I didn't make a lot back. After that review was posted, the money that I would get in e each month. Right. So there's no way that you can contact that person and say, please, uh, I appreciate your review, good or bad, but can you please take the spoilers out of it and not give so much away? No, because what happens is Amazon, if, if, if you look at their guidelines for film reviews, it, as long as you put in your review that this review has spoilers, they can write whatever they want. Uh. Also, also, I don't like the idea of reviewers reviewing films under pseudo names right if you want to review a film put your name in there absolutely you know because for all i know you could be a reviewer that that auditioned for the role in one of the films and didn't get it and now you're like oh well, i'm gonna screw him royally now you know so and 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 that's the problem with this business and i even asked uh amazon if they could pull the review down and they said no they need to change that because it even hurts them. I mean, because, yeah, I understand you don't make a lot of money on Amazon. As musicians, we don't make a lot of money on Amazon mm -hmm. Prime. But they make money, and so they're, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot because uh, if the most, fewer people that order the film, the fewer dollars they make. Not like Jeff Bezos can, is going to miss a, a $6 or a $7 rental fee, whatever it is. But... But you have to look at it from their side too, okay? It's only us two, all right? They have three, 400 films that they're making money off of each day. Right. We only have one one song or one one movie that we're making. But, but if, everybody, if everybody's allowed to post spoilers, I would think every single movie would start to see less and less revenue because, uh, you know, that turns people off. I, I don't want to watch a movie that I've already been told the whole story to. And that that's the challenge I, I have every single day when I, I interview authors, probably about seven a week on this program. And the, the challenge is to uh, tease their book and make it appealing to people to buy without giving away the whole story. And that right. I, it's, there's an art to that. But if you just put it in the hands of, you know, Joe Public, and uh, you, you're right about there is some backbiting and, and you know, I'm going to you know, screw this guy over because he's in the same genre as me or whatever, jealousy and nonsense. Exactly that, right. Yeah. At least with the book reviews, they have to. You have to verify that you bought it. Is that the case with the with the film reviews too? They actually have to verify that they've actually uh, rented it and watched it. No, I think that that they they can put down in the review if it's a verified purchase. And if you didn't verify, if you didn't purchase it through them, then you can um, then then they just put it down as the review as long as it's not connected to anybody in the cast and stuff. But I want to mention one thing. This one guy that did the review that had the, the major spoilers, I was curious. And you can click on his name and you can go and see all the films that he's reviewed. Films that he liked, he didn't spoil. Every film that he didn't like spoiled the hell out of it. Wow. People suck sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, what was good about the film? Did the guy get laid at the end? Who knows? You know? Right, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so, basically, you want to talk about the, the the directing was good, the the technical uh, you know production was good, the acting was good or bad, whatever you want to talk about that th- things. But uh, you can even say the plot line was was good or bad, but not exactly. give away without giving away. Uh, I don't like the the part where the guy guy got the girl and they got married at the end. I, I don't, you know, that's whatever it is. It's, you don't need to give that stuff away. See, my my thing was, you know what? All right, hey, like I said, I'm 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 not a famous director like Cecil B. DeMille, and I probably never will be. I did the film because I had a story to tell, and I wanted to tell it in my way. And by doing what that person did, he did nothing but three things. Number one, he stopped potential directors and casting people to seeing these actors work. Right. Wow. He stopped producers from looking at scenes that they may want to use in the movie scene locations okay and number four he just made himself look like a butthead right so (laughs) or number three so you know (laughs) i did the films to to promote the actors well that that's great and stuff like that yeah, that's that's a great uh, attitude to have, and of course, because you've already had a career and and you you know you, you've had a life, you can do that. A lot of people, young people, you know, acting is their whole life. They haven't really yeah. worked, or unless it's waiting tables while they were waiting for their big break, that kind of job. That yeah. they yeah. So and they're depending on hopefully making a career out of it, and you don't want to see somebody spoil that for for no. somebody. Um, because I, because the, the the people that are, were in my films, I either met on other film sets or they were in acting class with me, so yeah. I knew what they could do. And let me tell you something: some of them were really good. And now that this person is like turning people off to watching the movie, well, there's an opportunity missed for those people in the film that could have gotten other, other jobs. Right. So, well, I I, I want to give you a. Uh... <laughs> A little uh, constructive criticism on, and it's nothing about your m- movies at all. Uh, yes. I, I'm in the same age group as you, so I know who Cecil B. DeMille is. But yes. uh, my listenership can be, uh, uh, believe it or not, my li- the listenership to this program is uh, mostly between 18 and 35, and they have no idea who Cecil B. DeMille is. So I would probably go with, um, I'm no, uh, what's his name now? Uh, Ron, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. I'm thinking Quentin Tarantino. I'm no Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. They'd they'd know who that is, but uh, when Cecil B. DeMille, like, what the hell is this guy talking about? (laughs) Actually, when I did did the PC of the movie, I kind of like not stole an idea from Quentin's films, but you know how he has Kill Bill where he has, you know, chapters one, chapter two, chapter three. Well, I, I did almost the same thing, but I did part one, part two, part three. You know, with the blanks, with the black screen, with the white letters and stuff. Right. right. So, cool. and I thought that was a pretty cool idea and stuff. Well, that's. Uh, you know, I think that's important to kind of um, learn from your influences and kind of incorporate a lot of their ideas, but make it your own and not necessarily copy directly, but kind of take an idea and say, you know, that was a cool idea. How can I? How can I make that my own and incorporate right. that into my work? That's what mu- all music is about, and filmmaking. You know. To be honest with you, it's a, it's pretty much the same type of thing. No, uh, unless you go back to like the, the very beginning of, of cinematography, nobody invented these techniques. One 
somebody saw somebody do something and said, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Now, how can I improve on that? And that's, mm-hmm. that's, sure. that's the way it goes. Um, what about you? So producing these films, fi- getting them financed, because I know I have a lot of independent filmmakers out there and getting them financed is the biggest uh, obstacle people have you know people write a script uh, most people can uh, use software to come up with a, a script that is presentable getting it financed is the biggest challenge people do are you paying for it all yourself how are you getting the production paid for well you ask a lot of quick questions huh yeah <laughs> i told a friend of mine that i was going to ask you that or i was going to say that to you because she asked you that during one of the your interviews with her and... Oh, oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, she said, she, no, she said, you ask a lot of questions, don't you? And I said, yeah. that's what interviews are, dear. <laughs> yeah. but, She's probably listening, so. But, yeah, no, I, I was hitting her fast and furious with questions yeah. because she was she was giving me pretty short answers. You're giving me uh, some in-depth answers, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I, of course, that's all I do is ask questions. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, getting back to your question with finances, um, I guess I kind of have the luxury of financing my own films. Um, I get it. I'm okay pension-wise and stuff like that. I'm single, not married, have no kids, don't have to pay for college, um, you know, stuff like that. So I finance my own films for one main reason, and it sounds selfish on my part. Or, or maybe it may sound selfish to the audience, but when you start asking for money from people, okay, sometimes they have in their mindset that now you owe, owe them something. Right. A lot of financing, yeah, you can get from people and, and, and you give financing goods. Like if you give $25, you'll get a signed movie poster of the film. Or, you know, I just didn't have time for that. You know, my cast members, I take care of them. I make posters up for the film for them. I make shirts up for them, you know, that they were in, in, in the film. Um, if they were special, like I, I have one that says director, I have one for the, for the director of photography, you know, stuff like that. I just don't, I would rather do it myself and just like not owe anybody anything. Right. And it's like, and if it's a bad film, you know, I don't have to have somebody come to me and say, well, that was a waste of my money. Right. It's like, well, you know, who knew how it was going to turn turn out? Right. You know? Well, well uh, you know, Bill Fickner, who's, he, he's, um, he, he's pretty established, <laughs> very established as an actor for, uh, uh, you know, in with the Hollywood machine and been on, he's on a sitcom right now called Mom, uh, but he's been in many films, The Longest Yard, and I can't even name that, Crash, and so many films, but when he made his movie, and I had him on the program, we talked about this, he, you know, going through the investors, he said uh, to me that paying back your investors is always the most important thing to you, and that that's kind of uh, how you look at your film now, because now you're you're once you take that money and invest it in the film, you're obligated to make it a good enough film, but also make it make it uh, financially successful so that you can pay your your uh, investors back, and that's an extra burden that as an artist you really don't want to have. I, yeah. I can, yeah. Um, 
But this, now you flip that around, the financial end of it, and uh, I'm thinking, be, at least before you were in SAG, now you're in SAG and after and all that, uh, but before you were in, uh, probably a lot of people uh, just wanted you to work for nothing. Is that Oh, is, sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. You see, yeah. but again, I didn't mind doing that. And I, I, I got to tell you, one of, my, one of my favorite aspects of acting was working on student films. And hey, sometimes I would get paid, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes they would pay, pay me like 50 bucks for the day. And I would say, look, take the money, put it towards another film, or put it towards food for the next film you do, or put it for the food for the film set for tomorrow, and stuff like that. But the vision that some of these students have is like phenomenal, right? you know? And I'm like, to me, I enjoyed doing it. You know, I just didn't like doing it when it was extremely cold or extremely hot. But, you know, you work in all con conditions. Right. So I, I didn't really mind doing it for free for the students. Independent films, then I have a little bit of an issue with that. Right. Because you're independent films, you're looking to make money off of somehow. Right. So if you're going to make money off it, pay pay your actors. You know, um, that's just how I look at it. Every My films that I did... I paid all my actors. I paid all my crew. If they lived in the city and I was filming in New Jersey for the weekend, I didn't want to depend on transportation of back and forth from the city, like next Sunday morning or whatever. I'd put them all up in a hotel for the night because I want them there on the set at 7 o'clock. I don't want to hear, though, the bus was late or we missed the bus. Right. You know? So, yeah, it's extra expense, but at least the project gets done on time. Wow, uh, that you a lot of stuff in there that the you know uh, for independent filmmakers that I'd like to touch on. But what you time is short. We don't have twenty four hours to uh, do this podcast. But there's a whole lot that goes into that behind the scenes. You talk about being on set on time and and you know the efficiency of production. Now I I want to first before I even go there as a SAG member. Now are you still permitted to ever work on like? Uh, student films without charging or, or is that like impossible to do because you're in set? It's kind of impossible to do now. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. And to tell you the truth, I haven't been on a film set in two years. Act Well, except for my films, I haven't been on a student film set or anything like that, basically because I just haven't applied and I was taking care of my sister uh, full time. Uh, before she passed away. So I didn't have time to run to the city or I didn't have time to run to students' uh, schools to do, uh, you know, filming and stuff like that. Right. Uh, my, my main objective was to take care of her. Right. A lot, a lot of time and, and and people don't realize that. People who are, you know, and a lot of people think, well, sure, I'd love to do movies and I'd love to do films and stuff. They don't realize how much time uh, a a film shoot can take. You talked about getting on the set at 7, 7 a.m. Sometimes you're on a, a set at 7 a.m. and you're still on the set at midnight that night. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I think doing the student films, you must have learned a great deal about how to be as efficient as possible because you don't have that big Hollywood budget. So you have to kind of try to uh, consolidate things and make things work, uh, get everything as much as you can get shot in a single day. And even if, you know, having um, the same people on for whatever scenes they're going to be in and all that stuff, and you know, 
uh, arranging the logistics of it is is that the case that you had to kind of get that um mentality of a run and gun type shoot to to be able to do this kind of stuff that you do no it 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 depended on it depended on the film and it depended on the student doing the film um there are some student films that I worked on that I'll be perfectly honest weren't that great and I wasn't that great in them so I don't know but it depends on the student and the cooperation with the other students because the way they work it with a student film, I don't know if you know this or not, but usually when you're in, in, in film school is you have a group of students, like a group of five, and you'll be the director for one film, and then the students will be like uh, casting and stuff like that. And then when they do their film, now they're the director, and now right. they you fill in their role. So you get to learn the circle, and there was one, a couple of films that I worked on that I worked with the same group a couple times. And I could see how each person worked differently according to their jobs. So it was an interesting concept, but as far as the students, they they were not difficult to work with at all. You, you know, know, a lot of I when I think about it, a lot of the um, pairings that we are used to seeing in big movies started just that way. From film school, they kind of developed a click, a niche of people they worked with, a, a small group of people they worked with, and continued doing that even when they became successes in Hollywood and that kind yeah. of stuff. So well, oh, one thing. One thing that I did learn from the students and after doing my own films too, is I got to give credit for students that learned how to edit their films because, and that's something that I'm starting to do now too, is I'm going to start editing my own films. Number one, for one main reason, I have control of all the, of all the clips. I can do whatever I want with those clips. I don't have to hide them or say, Oh, I, I don't know where that clip went. You know, well, that's bad, bad on you. And the biggest thing is, I don't have to pay somebody five or seven hundred bucks to edit my film. Right. Yeah. So I'm that's glad, a big savings. I'm glad you went there because I was going to go into not so much the editing, but the the uh, production values and particularly uh, scoring and music soundtrack and stuff. Do you? Uh, when you're doing your own films, how much um, attention and um, interest do you do you put on uh, the, the value of music for the film and scoring and soundtrack? Um, depending upon the film, quite a bit. My the two films, Loveland and um, the PC, the movie uh, was I, I left the music and the editing up to the director of cinematography who did a really nice job in both films and stuff. Um, so he more or less took care of that. This current short film that I just did on my own is called, um, uh, yeah, okay, here we go, Jeff. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even remember See, your own film. Save your moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so the film that I just did there was one part of the film towards the end where I needed something special. So this one band that I know, um, I asked them if they would do the uh, song for this scene that would lead into the end credits. And they wow. said, sure. And they did a really good job on it and stuff. And uh, so that was the only thing that I did song wise there. And then I went online and there's free websites that you can go to for free mu music and stuff. As long as you give the author of the music credit in the you know film that you can use it for free. So yeah, I started to choose my own music and stuff. And 
it sometimes it gets really tight as far as like you have a choice between three songs god which one they're so good all of them which one would fit good here you know and then you got to play it with the clip and see how it flows and so yeah it's it's you you take a lot more interest when it's your personal project I love that stuff. I love because I, I came from a video editing background where I was constantly putting, uh, you know, voiceovers to video stuff and then mm-hmm. music, music to support that. So finding the right piece of music for the right visual sometimes that that's an exciting art form in itself. And for me, I really, really love that stuff. I have to ask you a question based on what I read in your bio because uh, <laughs> I one, think it one, one one quick thing. The, the short film is called Are You Ready? And it's been submitted to about six film festivals, and we already got accepted to the Montreal Film Festival. Well, that's a film I want to ask you about because it says he produced uh, and directed a short documentary start, uh, style film relating to a real past life experience. Now, on this program, past life generally relates to a reincarnation story. I'm just thinking this means that you're talking about your experience as a police officer or in the military. Are you talking about reincarnation or are you talking about? No, no, you're, you're, you're thinking about um, the first film that I did. um, The first short doc documentary, not, not the current one I just did. Are Uh, are you ready? Um, The other one was called A, a past life. Oh really? And, yeah, and it was actually it actually was about um, my experiences in Pearl Harbor. Wow. Yeah, and it, I'll, I'll I'll make it really short because I know we're we're running low on time. Is, no, you don't have I, to make it really short. Got to tell yeah. the full story. <laughs> I I started having these dreams of Pearl Harbor, and they were in black and white and stuff like that. And I said, okay, well, you know, I've been watching some movies on TV, war movies and stuff. That's probably where it came from. But then over time, like over a two-month time span, these Pearl Harbor dreams were coming more and more vivid. They were coming colorful now. And I talked to a medium that I know, and and actually she was one of the consultants on the film. And I, I asked her, I says, what does this mean? She goes, probably had a past life, and you probably died in Pearl Harbor during you know that bombing in December. And I said, okay, so what do I do? She goes, well, you can either live with the dream or you can go see what's going on. So I said, okay, fine. So I had a timeshare that I was going to get rid of, and I had a couple weeks left on it. And I booked the trip for, um, I I called the timeshare place, and I asked about um, a timeshare in Oahu. And he goes, when? And I said, anytime is fine, you know, as long as it's not in the winter. And he, he said, this is going to be tough, you know, because Oahu is like very famous and stuff because of Pearl Harbor. And he looked at it and he goes, holy shit. I said, what? He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm, I'm sorry I swore, but I, this is amazing. I said, what? He goes, I have one space for a week, but it costs two weeks of your bank timeshares to get it. I said, I said, book it. He goes, do you want to know when it is? I said, no, just book it now before somebody else gets in there. So it turned out it was the week of June 6th, I think think it was. This is back a couple of years ago. D-Day. <laughs> it may have been. Um, or maybe it was May 6th. Anyway, so I said, okay, now, now I got to book a flight. So I was going online, booking flights and stuff like that. Um, 
Expedia or whoever it was. I, I, I forgot who I booked it with. Now, a round-trip flight usually runs from Newark, New Jersey to Oahu. It was like 1200 bucks, 1400 bucks round-trip. That's going through the airline directly. So I went to Expedia and stuff like that. And I said, I clicked on the destination and the time frame that I needed. One seat available on this one flight. Round trip, $650. Wow. Two, two, two layovers. That was it. I said, okay, booked it. So now I'm, I'm all set to go. So I get there to Oahu and I get to the, um, I get to the site and I got to meet one of the surviving members of the Pearl Harbor thing. He's just a guy that shows up there every day and he signs books and stuff like that. But um, I got on the on the boat along with the other people to get ferried out to um, the U.S. Well, first of all, I was walking before I got on the boat. I was walking around the area, and I met this gentleman, and I can't remember his name. But he drew this big mural of the USS Arizona. It had to be the size of a wall. And as soon as I saw that, I started to break down. And he goes, what's the matter? I says, that triggered me. So he goes, I'm, you're not the first one to say that and stuff because there are other people whose parents have died there. Um, so anyway, I get on the boat and I'm getting out there and I'm starting to cry a little bit. But once I actually got there, my mind was at ease. My soul was at ease. It was, it was like I was... It was like I was back with my friends. Wow. So I got back on the boat, got back to shore, looked back at the site one more time and said, farewell, farewell guys. It was nice to see you again. Got back home. No more dreams about Pearl Harbor. Wow. Done. Uh, so um, does an experience like that change your life in profound ways as far as your thoughts about, you know, the meaning of life, why we're here, spirituality, God, any of that kind of stuff? Did, did it kind of uh, give you any kind of um, enlightenment, I guess, is what I'm looking for? Well, I've, I've, I've always believed in past lives and stuff like that. And I, I've turned out I've had, a, according to the medium that I go to, she says that I've had 101 past lives. So... Well, yeah, I, but believing in it is one thing, but actually having that kind of experience, I would think, has to profoundly change you in in, in some, you know, at a, uh, because belief, like I said, belief is one thing, but actually experiencing it and feeling it, I would think it, from that day forward, your life is going to be changed in some way. No, I'm wrong. No, you, you're not wrong at all. I I just go about the way that my way of thinking is, look, is there are bad people out there. There are good people out there. You just try and treat people the way you want to be treated, okay? You help them as much as you can. You mentor them as best you can. You know, if they need financial help, if you can afford it, you do that for them as best you can. Um, and you just basically be a good person. And the only thing that I'm not thrilled with with certain things is like, all right, I'm a single guy like I, I had mentioned. I have no kids. Uh, my sister's now passed, so it's just me, all right? Now, why am I still here? But yet friends of mine who lost their sons and their daughters, 
who had a lot going for them. Why are they gone? Why am I still here? That's a big question that you have to ask yourself sometimes. Oh, I do every single day. Because I, so, so I, I lost a son, and I think about that all the time. I think about, about that. that. No, you know, it's part of life. But yeah. to your point, I think about that question all the time, because why him and not me? I mean, he had so much to live for. And uh, the only only thing I can make sense of it, there's something more for me to do, something uh, I'm intended to kind of, uh, make a bigger mark on this world. That's all I can come up with and uh, have some kind of legacy. Well, so. in the roundabout way, that's what me and you are doing. Right. You know, like you have your show to bring people on to give experience to other people that, to give them knowledge of an experience before it happens to them, to right. maybe prevent something bad from happening. By me coming on the show and telling them about my experiences with like Amazon Prime reviews and stuff like that, people are going to be cautious and maybe they'll take heed to that. Like, right. like it, it, it's like our mother used to say when we were kids: if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's what you have to live by. But like you said too, if you think the film didn't flow right, fine. Then say it didn't flow flow right, right. for you. But you have to remember one thing. Like every, well, not you, because you already know, but to the viewers out there, you have to remember one thing. Not every movie and not every song is for everybody. Absolutely. People are going to like it or they're not going to like it. And, uh, and, and you can't knock somebody down because you didn't like something. Yeah. Uh, unless it's Yoko Ono. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a joke uh, during the pandemic about uh, to get people to stay locked in. They were going to have Yoko Ono singing in public. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I no, I agree with you 100 percent there. And, and of course, you know, just because you, you, something doesn't appeal to you doesn't mean there's not an audience for it. There, uh, if, there's an audience for just about every art form or every piece of art that was created. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with with everything that's going on, uh, I just want to mention your your website is uh, going scrolling across the bottom now, but most of the audience is in the uh, audio realm. So I'm going to say it's just jeffreyjscott.com. It's it's simple to find. But the uh, work, the, the two films are on Amazon Prime right now. You can find them. Uh, one is called Loveland, and the other one is called The PC. What does The PC stand for? Professional cuddler okay all right uh that's not what i, I would not have guessed that i would that, have thought that that's a crime drama uh yeah right and, and also if you want to see the documentary on a past life uh that's on uh that's op open on youtube that's a public viewing Oh, okay. I, I got to find a link to that and put it in the description. I was looking through the YouTube stuff, and I saw a lot of the uh, student films. I did not uh, see that, but I'll look again and you know, and put that in the description. So with when uh, when this insanity of uh, pandemic is, is, is over, uh, do you have any plans for any more films or, or got any, any plans for the future, or are you just waiting till it's over to, to even start thinking about what you're going to do? I think what I'm going to do is once this film is done, I'm definitely due for a road trip because I do like going on the road and I've been across the U S five times, North, South, East, and West. The only state I haven't been to yet is Alaska. So I, I, I definitely want to go back on the road and see some friends again and stuff like that. 
maybe do an on the road documentary on something. What I don't know. Um, so, and maybe yeah. do a film sometime in the fall. Who knows what? Who knows when this all ends? Right. Who knows yeah. when it's all in? Yeah. Nobody's got a crystal ball. I mean, we're all hoping for the sooner the better, but you know, who knows what? And I think that's part of the problem. Not knowing has got people on it. It's that whole anxiety of, of not knowing the, not knowing causes anxiety just in itself. So that's like what- I said, this, this last film I did, are, are you ready? The only reason I did it was because I liked the storyline. A friend of mine is the one that wrote the story. I screenplayed it, but I, it was a very small cast, a very small crew. So we followed the COVID, you know, guidelines and stuff like that. Everybody wore masks. Everybody got their temperature taken and stuff like that. So small film, yes, it worked out nice. If it was a bigger production like the PC or Loveland, I, I would have never done it. Right. Uh, can uh, before we go, I got a. Uh, is there or is it giving away too much to ask? Uh, ready for what? <laughs> um, are 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 you ready? Is a story about um, the grand. This gentleman, her, his granddaughter, comes to um, pick him up to go and visit his wife, and um, because he's she's not at home with him, she's someplace else. So it's the story of how he gets there. Okay, uh, I was just wondering because I was working on a song the last couple of days about. Uh, being ready, but it wasn't the same type of thing. <laughs> See, I, I, I would love to post it online because it's a really nice film. Um, I dedicated it to my sister, um, but I can't push it public because, as you well know, uh, in film festivals, if it's shown publicly first on social media, then it's not eligible. Right, got it. So yeah. I have to wait until it's uh, either rejected, and I won't know that until October. Right. By, by, by the time all the films get screened. Well, I wish you a lot of luck and, and success going forward, and uh, I hope I hope you do get in, in, in a festival. Now, uh, your friend Katra, I believe, is coming back in April. I'm yeah. not sure. She just re- rescheduled, so I, I think it's April. Uh, uh, and I'm not going to ask how, how you know her or how, how you're friends with her because she doesn't like personal questions. I know that and doesn't want to give away too much personal information. I'm just saying I'm glad to, to see we have a common friend. I'm glad. I guess you found my program through her, and I, I'm grateful for her for, for recommending people. She's actually recommended a couple of, of guests now, and uh, yeah. I'm grateful for her. And I hope you had a good experience here and, uh, and made it worthwhile. I don't mind telling you, I, I know Katya because we had acting classes together. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and that's how we know each, each other. And we've just become friends over the years because her, she is just so adorable, as you well know. Yeah. But, uh, but, and so, so talented with artwork and movie scripts and books and authors and stuff. It's like she, she's like everything rolled into one little package. And it's like everything in this business, all right? It's there. Right, and I'm and I'm I'm saying this for everybody, not just for her, but it's right there, and all you need is that one contact, yeah, that one person that can get you over the line, and then once you have that, the door is open. Well, when her episode aired, I got probably two hundred emails about her smile and how just how oh, yeah how easy it is just to watch her just relate to stuff and 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 just be herself because she just has this um 
very inviting presence is like the best way I can express it because her smile is just so welcoming and her, her spirit is just happy about everything. Even when she was questioning me about, you ask a lot of questions, don't you? She did it with this big, great big glow on her face. I couldn't get mad at her. I was just like, well, yeah. what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, very beautiful person. I, very, I very giving person, very giving. She's a fantastic well, well, thank you for coming. Tell her I said hello, and I appreciate uh, uh, you know you being here. And if and when uh, are you ready? Comes out and is ready for viewing. Please come back, and we'll we'll promote it and get some people to check it out. And we'll continue to uh, promote your work uh, that's on already on Amazon Prime. I thank you very much, sir. It was a pleasure talking to you. Same here. Thanks for coming, and bye for now. Bye, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code ORIONQ. Jeffrey J. Scott, uh, folks, the, the films are on Amazon, uh, Loveland and the PC. Please check them out. I'm going to be checking out Loveland tonight. Maybe over the weekend I'll get around to the PC. Actually, I'm more of a crime drama type of uh, guy myself anyway, so I'm probably more inclined to uh, PC. The, the cover of Loveland, has, the cover shot of it, let me see if I could just show it to you really quickly. Um, let me see what I have to do to show it to you really quickly. It's got me a little bit intrigued. So um, application, well, here you go. That's what it looks like. It's got me a little, you know, I see the girl sitting in front of uh, what looks like school lockers in 
like swim gear almost with flip-flops and it looks like a, she's holding a towel <laughs> it just got me uh, intrigued like how is this a horror film so i'm really interested in checking that out i'll be checking that out tonight i hope you will too check out his work uh it's on amazon prime right now i hope you enjoyed this program i hope you got something out of it and you folks in the creative world i know you definitely did and i hope you'll uh tell your friends about it subscribe and come on back and all that kind of stuff go to minddogtv.com get on my mailing list so you know when we're gonna have great guests on and questions and comments for me info at minddogtv.com info at minddogtv.com until tonight at 8 p.m when my guest will be mama's wranglers a family group a western musical group uh which has a a a steady uh home base southeast of las vegas nevada where they are uh put on shows almost nightly i believe it's probably five days a week from wednesday through sunday but uh great entertainment throw throw back to um country western and western swing music uh but it's a family act and they'll be joining me tonight at 8 p.m eastern so until then i'm matt napa for the mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming have a great rest of your day and bye for now i don't know about advanced mathematics quantum physics only hurts my brain i don't know about the hole in the ozone i don't know about acid rain i'm compounded by the mysteries of living there's a lot that i can figure out i don't know about the ways of religion but I know I love you I got a heart that tells me so Yes, I do Well, I don't know much But I know what I know I don't know about higher education Kind of wish I would have stayed in school Can't say focus and I lose my concentration Never learned about the golden rule Share confusion is my logical conclusion just a waste of time Is it a miracle or optical illusion? I only know that it blows my mind I don't know about Jesus I know all about rock and roll Yes, it's true Well, I don't know much But I know what I know I know.